Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello, I'm Melissa Anderson, and welcome to another edition of Reach for Hope, where there's always hope. Parents sometimes don't know what to do when they see their children going through mood swings. Oftentimes, their teenagers may be going through a hormonal change, but could it be more than that? With us today to talk about this and how to recognize these signs of depression or anxiety in some cases in children is Paula Frainer from the Washington County School District. And Paula, you're a mental health and behavioral specialist. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Now, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got interested in this and, and why you do what you do. Well, thank you for having me. I actually love working with our students at the Washington County School District, and I was a head counselor for many years, and then they asked me to be the mental health and behavior specialist, and since I do therapy privately in the evenings, I thought this was a perfect fit, and, and here we are. Yeah, now now in your role, you also have to be a leader when it comes to a crisis in in the schools for the entire school district to tell us a little bit about the crisis team that you have on board and how is that set up? So the crisis team is a really powerful resource for our school district. And when a crisis happens, the, the crisis lead is called and we work out the details and then we call in the whole crisis team, which is one counselor in each of the um, the each cone site and then um, we really would like all counselors to be involved and so we're in the middle of training all of them but we really dive into the situation we make sure every every bit of it is covered and that um, if there's any uh, extended family friends best friends people on even in the community that we're on teams with them anything it's all covered everybody's looked out for and everybody's checked up on and we have tons of resources we have out there to um, access as well yeah it's not any fun to deal with that so um, what type of training then do these people have in order to um, go through and uh, and receive and, and deal with people who children who might be depressed or may uh, attempt suicide? That is a good question. So we get annual training and we, in fact, we're going to the Rocky Mountain Prevention um, Training just here in December. And we go to every single training we can get our hands on. We keep up on the latest and greatest. And then we bring it back and train all of our counselors so that everybody's aware and can take care of any need that comes up. What we like to talk about is suicide prevention and not get it to the point of where we're past that point. So we want to talk a little bit uh, about um, the anxiety and the depression and things. Um, how can we uh, prevent a crisis from happening and turning to that crisis stage? Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between hormones raging maybe in the middle schools and, and the stage where there's a red flag and we need to say, oh, enough is enough. We've got to do something. Absolutely, especially with COVID going on. There's a lot of anxiety out there, and it and it's not only in the students, it's in the whole family, it's in the whole community. So some of the red flags to look for are definitely kids that are sleeping longer than normal, kids that are starting to change friends or pull back, be lonely, be in their rooms too much. They're not communicating with their parents like they used to, just big shifts and change. They may not be eating properly, 
their balance is all off and they're highly emotional. If you see any of these red flags, it may not mean that they're in trouble, but it's worth looking into before it goes any further. Right. And that could be for any age of child. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, most of us as parents may think of these as just mood swings and just a teen moment, especially, like I said, during the teenage years and figure that our children are just resilient and they will bounce back. Will they bounce back, though? So we're not seeing that they're as resilient as we would hope they are. At least many of them are. But for the majority that you're seeing these red flags on, they're the ones saying, I don't have the skills I need. And that's why I'm starting to shut down here and anxiety and depression starting to grow. And we don't want that to go to levels where it gets toxic. So we, we at the school district have a a great um, plan in place that kind of explains what the hijack brain is, teaches them skill sets, helps them regulate their emotions. And when that's not enough, we have resources in the community to reach out for therapy and get them some more help. You were talking about regulating emotions. What What is that? So just a quick explanation is you have a forebrain that's in the front of your brain and you have the midbrain which is in the back which houses your emotions and then you have an amygdala when the amygdala fires because something is uh, is is scary sad um, makes you nervous makes you anxious just something that's a big emotion it'll fire and when it does it naturally will go to the emotions and if we don't recognize this in ourselves we'll start to breathe really fast our oxygen will go really low and our body will conserve and so when it conserves it, it looks at where it needs it the most which is your vitals and the part of brain, the brain you're using well you're using your emotions so your forebrain which is where your cognitive, what you think, what you problem solve, well, that shuts off because not enough oxygen needs to go is there. You don't have enough to go there. So without the ability to problem solve and be cognitive, your emotions are in the driver's seat and it's just going to escalate. And that's where our depression, anxiety gets out of control. So we're teaching our students to recognize when this process happens and we're teaching them distress tolerance skills to be able to manage that and get that down and get that forebrain back online so that they can get through their issues. I've heard this called that your brain is hijacked. Tell us tell us what that means. <laughs> Absolutely. So it means that your emotions have hijacked your entire brain and you're not able to access your ability to be cognitive and problem solve. And so they're in the driver's seat and we do things we regret and um, our, our emotions, well, our body does doesn't know if your emotion is telling the truth or not. And so when that's in the driver's seat, it thinks everything it's believing is real. And so that's how anxiety will grow into panic attacks. Depression will grow, you know, into places you don't want to go where they're thinking uh, risky decisions. And so if we can unhijack our brain and get it regulated, we can calm down and think through things and realize that our brain was not telling the truth. It was a story in our head and we can deal with that story and get on to better things. So maybe that's how what happens when, you know, people get also on drugs or alcohol, it probably hijacks that part of the brain as well. I mean, might not be thinking in clear terms. Absolutely. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. Um, what are some examples then uh, of this? You were talking about tolerance skills needed to deal with this brain that's hijacked breathing deep or there is what kinds of things can you do absolutely so because you're breathing so shallow and your oxygen is depleted in your body and so it shut off your forebrain we need to get that forebrain back online so we'd call back there's a lot of examples of breathing um, so if you could, you'd pick your favorite one and use breathing and just get yourself reoxygenated. And then we need to use our forebrain. So it can be simple skills like counting back from 20 that kicks in your, your front forebrain and it helps it work so that the emotional side of your brain doesn't have to be so hypersensitive because you're using different parts. So it'll calm down. 
And when it realizes I don't need to be in panic mode because you're figuring things out or working your brain to do other things, then it unhijacks and allows you to be able to problem solve and get through things. So anything you can do to use your forebrain. Some quick examples are sing your favorite song, count back from 20, do the ABCs backwards, get up and move your body, um, do anything that will distract yourself from the situation and the looping you're going through right now with the depression, anxiety thoughts, get yourself out of that situation, get that brain calmed down, and then you can go back and, and look at that situation and handle it so much better. How about singing? Would that help? Absolutely. I was going to say, that's one thing that kind of makes me get back on tune if I just go sing something and then, you know, get away. Cause I don't like numbers. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And call a friend face to face contact is the best dopamine you'll ever get. Yeah. Uh, so how do school counselors then play a big role in teaching these types of skills? Do they do it in the classrooms or do you do it outside the class or how do you do that? That's a good question. So currently all of our teachers are teaching these skills once a week in the classroom, the teachers will go in and take a deeper dive and they will really go into it with activities and, and practicing and they really drive those in. And then if that's not enough, we were fortunate enough to hire behavior techs this year. And when they see that that a student has a skill that they are not um, capable of using, and that's why it's, it's kind of, and this here's the word again, hijacking education at that point, then we pull them out and reteach the skills they need so that their behavior can be managed and they can do it themselves. And it's a win-win for everyone. So do all elementary schools then have school counselors? We absolutely did this year. We have got those. We're now we're working on behavior techs in every one of them. So we're excited at the forward progress we're making. Right. Now, um, we've heard about wellness rooms. Can you explain how those are helpful as well? They sure are. So a wellness room is when a student knows that they need to regulate and they need a minute to just step away, allow themselves to regulate and come back into the classroom. And the wellness rooms have all kinds of skills, tools, people in there to help. And we're just teaching kids to regulate those emotions so that they, they don't hijack. They can regulate and get back to class and everything's good. So these techs you were talking about, um, behavior techs, what's their role? Then you mentioned their role, but you have some place that you can that take them or, or things that you can give them to be able to, to deal with unhijacking the brain? <laughs> Absolutely. So so the, bi the behavior text will take them out of the classroom so that learning can continue and then we'll reteach them the skills they need for their behavior management. And we have all kinds of great tools. We have watches that will vibrate, especially if you're working with focus or with the ability to keep your hands to yourself or stay on task. They will buzz and we find baseline and, and depending on how, how long that student can go, for example, for focus, if they can go 20 minutes we buzz that watch at 19 minutes and then they use their skills at their desk to regulate so they can go a little a little longer to the next 19 and we do it again and again and then as soon as they're good at that we just keep stretching that time out until they have learned those skills and we can do that with all kinds of skill sets we have by taps we, we have uh, so many manipulatives to help students regulate their behavior it's pretty exciting that, that's pretty crazy how you can get the technology matched into that and uh, get and you know and I imagine it triggers something and they, they get used to that right absolutely and that speaks their language they're excited about it and we're moving behavior in ways that we haven't ever before it's so exciting that's awesome uh, so what else is the Washington County School District doing to offer increased mental health in our area so 
We are really excited. The state gave us a mental health grant, and we partnered up with Southwest Behavior, and they have partnered up with 19 so far, and we're looking for any more that want to join us, 19 therapy centers. And when we have a need that we see at our school and and what we're doing at school is not quite enough, we call in the parents and let them know that we will pay for five free therapy sessions, and we send the referral off to Southwest if the parents agree, and then they get to pick between all the therapists available out there, and then so that they can feel comfortable with their choice, and then they take their student there, and oftentimes what we're finding is when the student starts to get help and the parents are seeing what great improvement it is, they eventually bring their whole family in, and we're, we're helping families, which will help communities, so we're, we're so excited about this program unhijack everybody's brain right <laughs> what's what is the map program for students who may need additional mental health perform uh, support so that that is that's the program i was talking about right, and that is map. the five free sessions with what with therapists in the community and it's at no cost and every student's available to go and we are we've we've paid for a lot of spots and we are excited to be using them last year we used 133 spots for the elementary in six months because that's when the program came online 89 at the intermediate 42 at the middle and 58 at the high school and we are expecting to just double and keep increasing as as the awareness is out there yeah i think we had a graphic for that uh, the therapy usage uh so it looks like it's being used a lot. We're, are we seeing an increased need since this coronavirus came out? We absolutely are because everybody became lonely and came, became nervous and their world just they just um, feel like they can't trust anything anymore. Everything just feels in an upheaval. And so anxiety is through the roof. So this program has really helped us address that need. Tell us about um, the differences between males and females and how th- that might play a role or impact as far as their mental health. We're so excited because historically males did not ever go get mental health very rarely. They were kind of the 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 stigma was suck it up and and be strong. And with us being able to refer the males, we're actually getting more usage for males than we are females, just barely, but still we're, we are ha- higher on male usage than female usage, which we want all males to know. You don't need to suffer in silence. If you have a need, let's, let's meet that need and we have the resources to do that. So we're excited to be changing that stigma. What's the difference then between men and women when, when it comes to suicide attempts and, and things that, that where, where does their brain go? So that that's a good question because women generally will um, attempt three times more than men, but men complete three times more than women because they use more lethal means. And so everybody needs mental health and everybody needs to learn about their hijacked brain and get the skills they need. And, and this is a perfect resource to get it out there for anybody in need. Wow. That's, those are some amazing statistics. Men are 3.5 times more percent more likely to die by suicide. That's that's incredible to, to hear that. And we've got to get that changed. Absolutely. Um, what hope do you have for parents then who may not know what to do with their children? So we we are super excited about being able to get this information out. And thank you for having me on here to help push this information out because we want all the parents to know that the MAP program exists and that there's five sessions of free therapy for any child in need. And we, we want them to get it early before it gets to the tragic levels or the toxic levels of let's let's address it early. Let's look at those um, the um, red flags we were talking about earlier. If you see those in your students, then reach out to your your school counselor and they have all the resources they have the referral system and we'll just streamline you and get you in as soon as possible and get those needs met 
And you're talking about all ages of children, right? From kindergarten up to seniors in high school. Where are we seeing the most usage or need here? You know, so currently we're seeing the most usage in elementary because they are good at talking and expressing or their behaviors manifest a lot faster. Where in the high school, we're relying on them to let us know because they, they're better at hiding it and they're better at feeling like they're, they're dealing with that shame and guilt going on. And so they don't want to tell anyone they need help because that's shameful. That's embarrassing. So we're trying to break that stigma. So we have all kinds of programs going in the school to break the silence. And, and we have those wellness rooms going. We have those um, curriculums in all the classrooms. And the, the amazing thing is when a counselor goes out and does the curriculum and says, here's what we can help you with. There's no reason to suffer in silence. It's just a matter of learning how your brain works and some skill sets. Then, then kids are starting to open up and we are seeing the trend change and people reaching out but currently definitely the elementary has the most usage yeah and in the high schools i know they have the the um, hope squads but they don't offer that because peers can't younger kids don't they're not really peer related yet they're not peer pressured yet <laughs> correct <laughs> so uh it, how do how do how do you how does that work how do how do you, the younger children relate do they just find the, the adults being mentors since they don't have the peers to be mentors? Absolutely. Or their behaviors will manifest and that's, then we can start talking to them and they'll, and, and if they have a relationship, because the whole, the whole school district's big push is every student needs to be connected. And so we're putting every student, a lot of the schools are putting every student's picture up and then they're telling the whole faculty, pull the picture down if you have a good connection with them. And the students that nobody pulled down, that's the ones that are getting on lists and people are purpose going out there and making those connections. So we want all students to feel connected and feel safe with at least one adult in the school that they can tell anything to. And that's what our, that's how our elementaries are opening up and, and letting us know what's going on. That's a good system. I'm glad you got all the counselors and the, the techs and everybody there to help out. Why is it important then for you to be involved with the Reach for Hope Coalition and and suicide prevention through these programs? You know, they've really got our hope squads up and going, which we love our hope squads because we are allowed to go in and really dive down and teach them all the skills because oftentimes kids won't go to an adult, they'll go to their friends. So if their friends have the basic skills and can hand them off to the adults, then it's a win-win. And so these coalitions are all about prevention and helping each other and getting the community involved and skilling up our hope squads and that, that is powerful. Yeah, and you and you can stay connected in in the community as well. Um, the Reach for Hope also gives out comfort bags through the hospitals and things. And I understand you have your um, resources that you hand out as well. How important is it to have these um, comfort bags and kits and things to send home resources for people to be able to understand? You know that there's there's always somebody out there to help. Absolutely. There's always hope. So those comfort bags play a key role because oftentimes when you're having your darkest day and something very traumatic has just happened to you and your family, the last thing you're thinking about is resources and how to get help. You're just trying to survive the moment. So because our principals and our counselors and our teachers who know these students go out to the homes and they um, are there to comfort that family, they wanted to they wanted something to be able to take to them. And so the Reach for Hope Coalition got some comfort bags together. Currently, we have a really nice, soft, comforting blanket, some comfort food in there. We have really great books on grief or loss or whatever whatever the need is that that family's going through. 
And then we have all of our resources there, some parenting tips. If it's if it's a, a, a loss, then we have the five stages of grief. And we just kind of put a bunch of resources in there so that family doesn't feel alone. But the thing that we feel significantly, uh, well, we feel is super impactful is that the principals and the counselors can then say, hey, I want to tell you about our MAP program because let us help you get through this moment. And it's for your whole family, all your students in need. And that's when we can get them involved with those five free therapy sessions in the moment they need it. Instead of waiting till they're suffering for a long time and, and behavior start to manifest, we can do it right there in that moment. So that, that bag's kind of an easy way for the faculty to go out to that family and have something to give them and say, we love you. You're part of our community family and we have these resources for you. And they're really, they're really welcoming and that, that gets that foot in the door. You have about probably 3,500 kids in the Washington County School District. I don't know how you keep track of all of those, you know, in this in this fashion for their mental health. But tell me a little bit about what the percentages might be or, or what you're dealing with when you're talking about behavioral health versus, you know, mental health uh, problems that we might be dealing with. I just want to know how big the problem really is. So... Because of our plan, and, and we've got everybody on board working on mental health, and we've educated everybody, so they're educating the students, and it's just kind of a big family of taking care of each other. We can take care of the majority. Eight, usually, generally, 80% of the students can be taken care of in-house. But then you have your top 20, and about 15% of those, that's where those behavior techs come in, and all those manipulation tools, and, and the more intensive um uh, skill sets are being taught right there in the classroom and they're taught to the need that's going on in the schools. When we do all of that and that is not enough, then that top 5% is the ones that we're reaching out and getting community help. And that's usually the ones we have the therapists come in. But but truly we can have the therapists come in at any stage if it's needed. But we do reach out to the community on that top three. We have intensive groups. We have people come in and work with them. We can um, refer them out. So so we love the community for helping us in that tier three. Yeah, so at what point or how can parents then get involved if they believe that their child might be struggling from home? Um, I'm not saying that they fall through the cracks, but some might. How can they get involved? How do they get a hold of the school? What happens? How does this work? That's a good question because it doesn't matter who identifies the red flags, whether it's someone at school or someone at home or a best friend, it doesn't matter. We're asking anybody, come to your school counselor, let them know what you're seeing so we can get the appropriate help. It, and anyone's, our doors are open to anyone. You can walk in and these resources are for absolutely any kid in, in our school district. So any anytime you see a need, let's make sure we're looking at it and getting it met. So they come into the school or, it, or is there anywhere they could call or... I mean, it's been tough with COVID. Um, the communication has just been hard. Um, and I imagine you've had some telehealth programs and some things where you've kind of reached out to, to parents that way or to kids that way. But oftentimes people don't want to sit there and stare at a screen. <laughs> they want to talk in person. Absolutely. And so through the MAP program, we do have the, the majority of them we do have in person. They go to a therapy center, which we prefer that because then you get that human touch and and. And that is always more powerful. But if we have, we do have students that are just because of COVID or other special needs, they don't want to go in person. We do have the telehealth and we can have that accessed in your home. If you don't have that ability in your home or it's not working out for you well, we are allowing it to happen at school. So we can set aside a time in a room and we can do telehealth in the classroom, you know, in a classroom that that student is all by themselves and able to talk to that therapist and have their session that way. And we're being as creative as we need to be. So as 
as needs arise, we figure out how to make it work. Yeah, that's what you got to do is just be able to to move and shake with the moving and shaking that's going on in our world right now, which there's a lot going on. Uh, which brings me to my last question. What would you like parents and children to know then when it comes around uh, talking about mental health, suicide prevention, and the stigma that surrounds this terrible tragedy that can occur? Absolutely. And if I could give a little bit of advice, being the crisis team lead, one thing I see a lot happening is parents so, so, so much want to get their students, you know, out of any of the toxic, toxic things in our society. So what they say to their student is, you're not looking at pornography, are you? And that tells the student they have to say, no, no, I'm not, right? It's not opening the door to, I am actually caught in this and I need help. And so when we're talking to students about alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, the best way as parents that we can address that is just saying, the last time you saw pornography, what'd you do about it? Because every kid has a computer in their hand and every kid's been exposed. And if they feel shameful of being able to admit to it, that's where the secret grows and that's where we get out of you know things get out of trouble get into trouble and gets toxic so i would uh, my best advice to parents is don't say you haven't done this right it's when when you were exposed to this what happened and then you can be someone that they feel can handle it rather than someone that doesn't want to hear the answer could be yes so that's where i'm seeing a lot of problems happen with with parents they're they're the last one to know because the way they ask the questions is not inviting enough. The student doesn't trust to tell them. Right. And we've got so much social media and YouTube stuff out there now. We just need to be careful. So I'd just like to say thank you very much for, for joining us and sharing with us. And hopefully some of the people will have resources out there that, that you they, you can help them with. And just they will reach out. So, again, thank you for joining us thank today, you. Paula. And I'd like to say thank you for joining us. And, again, uh, remember, if your child's having difficulties, reach out for help because there's always hope. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach the number four hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.